Hi, and welcome to the Pilgrim Path Podcast. I'm Chris Serber. I'm the pastor at First Congregational Church of Naples, Florida, and also the executive director of Supply and Multiply, a ministry in Moe, Haiti, that my family and I founded while living there some years ago. Today, I have the privilege of having a conversation with Reverend Dr. Pastor Jerry Rittenhouse, who happens to be a good friend of mine that I've known for a long time, and uh, we'll get into some of that, a, a man who uh, was instrumental in giving me an opportunity to begin acquiring the necessary tools to serve churches, and uh, he is the senior minister at the Kirk of Dunedin, and uh, so hi, Jerry, and uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Chris, what's up, man? I, we like having you around because you used uh, military terms because of your background, <laughs> so I, I've been called J-Dog ever since you left. <laughs> I like that. That man up stuff. Who am I? Uh, this is who I am. This is, look at that. Look at that. Those oh, are great. Awesome. All right. Had to do that. Hey, okay. uh, you know, I've been here 19 years. Gosh, 19 years. Man, you barely look old enough to be there 18 years. Florida was a weird country. I didn't expect to be, I, mean, I never expect to live in Florida. I would grow up in Ohio. And uh, went to Bible College Seminary in uh, Kentucky and then uh, Indiana, pastored Indiana 23 years. Never expect to live where I vacationed. So I don't, I don't want to screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, You're in Naples. Yeah. You feel that pressure? You don't want to screw it up? End up back in what? Michigan, Illinois? A little bit, although although I always feel like at least I, I uh, you know, I, I could always just go back to Haiti and, and live in a, a live in a simple hut, you know. But yeah, for sure, <laughs> you don't want to mess it up. Some earthquakes going on down there. I think you better stay put. Uh, yeah, exactly. And for those well, people, I I tell you what, I um, okay. So my first church ministry opportunity came in the form of you asking me or allowing me really to come down to the Kirk of Dunedin. For those who don't know, Dunedin is, uh, a lot of people don't know where that is exactly. It's right there in the, on the St. Petersburg side of the Tampa Bay is how I usually describe it near Clearwater. And um, this is uh, a wonderful church that had a, a history and had an identity. And, uh, but it also was a church when you, when you became the pastor there in need of some transition. And so one of the things that I was privilege to be a part of was to see some of the earlier ongoings of, of the things that God led you to do to transition that church, to bring it on the, along the journey where it is now. And uh, also, uh, you know, I, I was, I was been able to watch that journey. And so I, I'm really curious about some of your thoughts about how some of those things have gone, some of the things that, that, that work, some of the things that, some of the bumps and bruises that you had to and I don't think it's uncommon. You know, when when Debbie and I came here with our family, uh, I was the youngest guy in the building at 47. And there were, were no kids. And uh, so um, it was a seniors only church. I think that the history, they overreacted. Some they had, uh, they had some conflict early in the history of the church. And so some pastor uh, left with a bunch of families. I know this is the only church that's ever happened in. <laughs> right. Her pastor took some sheep and, you know, went and started another thing. But I think that's the history of it anyway. So when I, the, the pastor that was there at the time said, okay, well, we'll be a seniors only church. Well, I think that's common. I think there's not by, I mean, the guy that, that I, that preceded me, two guys before me, Oh, he felt like the Lord was leading him. I don't, I'm not judging or anything, but you know, it's not a good uh, future plan. That's for sure to say, we're just going to cater. So when I showed up here, um, February one, 2003, something like that, Debbie and Debbie thinks it was 2002 was we go back and forth with that. And uh, there was uh, 118 people over 80 in the room and uh, they were dying quick. So we had people, you know, your attrition, when you get, when you get up here in those ages, your, uh, your go away percentages are a little bit right. higher. Yeah. than when you're in Indiana or Ohio and yeah, I mean, every church has what 
10% or 5% of the congregation move away because of jobs or they die or they go into nursing home or whatever, it changes your, your demographics a little bit. This one, this one was rapid. We were, we were, we felt it. So yes, we had to act quickly and uh, I'll beware because when people say, Hey, we want to bring in families and children, they'd always mean it. They sometimes they, well, what we found was that um, uh, they, they, felt like they wanted, they needed younger families in here, but they were thinking the children of the fifties with the, you know, the, the button down shirts and the crew cuts. And, and what, what started happening was <laughs> blue jean families and, you know, eyebrow pierce and, uh, you know, the kids with the iPods are in their ears. And, uh, and so it was, there was, a, it was, we were accomplishing the goal but um, it was it wasn't what they thought was going to happen. So that was it wasn't hard to grow the church with young families. You just do events and style changes and adjust things a little bit or, or offer more varieties. And um, but and at the same time, you have uh, uh, you have. But the, but the culture of the church was still catering to seniors, so they weren't used to the noise the mess they, they weren't used right, to sharing, right. sharing the building and then um the real crisis came when uh the number of people that got on the leadership team were equal to the number of people that were here before me so hmm. then now you got this power thing going on of who's in control of the church so all of that was interesting we had to navigate all of that um obviously we lived through it <laughs> and yeah. uh, you know, but my son-in-law came here, uh, Katie's uh, husband. He said, we need to print shirts that just simply say outnumber them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Right. That's not nice. But anyway, uh, I don't like doing that, but um, people would have But gone, you know the truth. Well, but you know, the truth is, though, and, and I think a lot of pastors, especially young pastors, first entering the ministry for me, at that, you know, I had done all kinds of outreach ministry in the military and things like that, but I had avoided, even though I had a strong sense of call, I had largely avoided engagement in churches because of the horror stories. And then at the very first board meeting I was at at the Kirk as a, as a, as a whatever I was, a pastoral intern or something. And um, we, you know, there, there was this sort of really difficult conversation where somebody was angry and was going to leave. The, the organist was disappointed, let's say, in um, uh, some of the transition, felt like maybe there, he was going to get displaced or something. And um, But the thing that's been really amazing for me, I, not only being able to learn from you directly, watching your years of experience in ministry, and then there were other folks there like Dr. Gangle and Bob Agabee and people who had ministry experience and, and you know, so vast and um, but also over the years of knowing you and your family, you know, you you there is something to be said for the fact that you did endure those trials. And, you know, when people talk about longevity in a ministry for a pastor being, um, say, uh, you know, a lot of people will, will say or strongly imply that that's tantamount to developing healthy church culture and also to uh, to any kind of church growth numerically or spiritually. You know, when I look at it, then the, the, the inherent quality of that is because if you stick around, you're going to have to go through some trials. And, you know, it seems like, like you did. Yeah, a lot of pastors won't stick around. They won't stay long. And so, and you don't see uh, culture shifts. You don't get uh, to outnumber them. <laughs> I don't right. mean it the way that it sounds. but Right, right don't get to affect the changes that need to occur for the church to have a future if you're not there uh longer yeah. than i can't imagine i mean four years we weren't even there we i mean and i know that there's a culture in some denominations where for foreign out right 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 exactly well you know and and also um the the okay so to in all fairness though the outnumbering them piece in many cases was legitimate. There are always people in a church who simply will not embrace any kind of change. And then, and then the other piece is there, there are a few folks who understood the need and have lasted, even though some of those people have gone home to be with the Lord. So you, you did have a few that, um, you know, that, that what do you, what would you say? Here's a question for you on this level. 
lot of about uh, bu building your team, building your team for that transition. I mean, we did a lot of now, now sheep, you know, where you people would get upset about uh, changes were happening and changes weren't really the big. There weren't really big changes. We were very, very slow and very, very kind. But yeah. you had to do you had to do a lot of sitting with people and go now, now sheep, you know, you had to <laughs> calm, them, calm right. them down and go, this is not, this is not, nobody's dying of cancer here. This is not a big thing. This is not, um, you know, cause you, people get emotional and then it seems bigger than it really is. And I don't think any of the things that we did were really, uh, they, they weren't unbiblical. There was nothing that was even very far away from what they were used to. It was just, right. You know, it wasn't change that they were making themselves. It was change that was being made with them or to them. And nobody really likes that kind of feeling, you know, I guess. Well, I remember one time, I don't remember if you said it from the pulpit um, when I was there. Um, I don't remember if you said it from the pulpit or if it was in a meeting, but I always remembered the way you said it and not just what you said, but the, the tone was, was, it was beneficial uh, for their, for the hearing and for the palatability of it. And also, uh, I took note of it that you said one, one time, I can't remember if it was the pulpit, it might've been in a meeting and you said, you kind of chuckled and sort of directly, but in a kind of compassionate and warm hearted way said, you know, we really haven't changed that much. Uh, right. and, and the, and the way you said it was like, you know, fatherly, it was friendly. It wasn't, and, and there's as much to be said probably for the tone of ministry in transitioning as there is for the, let's say the theme of the ministry or the mechanics of it, probably. Well, I think it was helpful to um, keep doing the things that had been here, been being done for years. You know, we had organ concerts, we had men's breakfasts, we had stuff I inherited. And uh, even some of that, even though some of that stuff, the expiration date, you know, on the foot said past, you know, past uh, cons consumption, you know, the, the, some of the stuff that we were doing really wasn't growing anything anymore. It wasn't inspirational very much anymore. Uh, we kept doing those things anyway to create a sameness about, um, about stuff. Hey, you know, we're in a place right now too, just to tell you that, yeah. um, uh, the chain, churches keep reinventing themselves, and you can become the old guy that somebody else says we need to outnumber them. You know, so um, that's right. We are. That's right. We got a church with a really wacky name that made sense 54 years ago when they called it the Kirk of Dunedin because right. Dunedin was Scottish background, and and so it seemed right for the church to call itself. Uh, church Scottish word for church, right? Is is Kirk, and uh, but we have found that that is um, confusing to outsiders. Um, the city of Dunedin has let that go because the percentage of Scottish people are no, it's be below a hundred one hundredth of a percent of the population. Right, and so you know churches are the last ones to change. You know, and everybody else is changing. The city right. no longer says home, home of the Scottish Highland Games or anything like that. Right. Now it's home of Honeymoon Island. They're not even, right. they don't say anything at all about that whole Scottish thing. And uh, so we are in um, the beginning. Well, we've been talking for three years now about a name change. Imagine that. Right. And that's, so, that's monumental for some people. It seemed like you're changed. Uh, it's a whole new place. One time in the life of the church, you don't want to change it very often, right? And so we're 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 moving. We're right now. We we are positioning ourselves to try to get a hundred percent of our congregation to say yes to moving from Kirk Church or the Kirk of Dunedin to Coastal Christian Church, hmm. which says better who we are and where That's we right. are, and what we are than yep. Kirk of Dunedin that. What, what the heck is of that? Or is that a cricket oh. club? No, oh, for sure. We, 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 uh, we deal with the same thing. What is it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, don't, you have to explain it. And then that loses the power of the meaning. Congregational churches, you know, we, I, I, at the Kirk, it was a New Englander, a, a nice lady whose name escapes me. 
um, she was such a nice woman and, and she was one of the winter visitors. And it's, and yeah. it was part of the reason I ended up moving in the direction of congregational churches. She said, Oh, when you go to Pat, when you go to pastor your own church, sweetie, she had a real thick new England accent. I don't remember her name, short lady, real nice. And, uh, she says, you ought to look into the congregational churches. You'd make a great congregational minister. And I said, what the heck is a congregational church? Well, since becoming the pastor of congregational churches, people say first congressional church or, you know, someone said, oh, yeah, you pastor the conversational church. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, and so so for sure, like, I mean, and but those are some of the kind of things that that, um, yeah, so I'm taking years to I know you've been there's been discussion about that name. Cheers. When, when yeah. was I there? I was there a long time ago. And that was that was. Um, uh, a part of the discussion about it then yeah 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 but you know so okay so that's interesting oh, what, we say what about, go ahead slow and easy slow and easy we're not in a hurry <laughs> that's right um you know but okay so that brings up an interesting question though about let's call it church growth church transition you know so at the bottom line the calling of the church is of course to be faithful in worship faithful in proclaiming the word and one of the things that I've always that I thought was valuable at the Kirk is what you just said a minute ago, the honoring of the people who were already there, and then though not letting them stay put, recognizing, look, if you don't want your church to fade into irrelevance or a lack of existence, then you've got to also become more welcoming, more inviting to say, a, in this instance, a younger generation. In another community, it could have been to a different uh, racial dynamic or, or whatever as communities change. And sure. uh, so, so in the process of that, has there been much of a, let's say, and you know, I'm not asking for any, any to throw anybody under the bus, but you know, has, has there been, uh, how, has, how have the old guard typically received the change or did it take a while for that acceptance to kind of grow I mean, should a pastor, if right away the old guard is like pushing back, you know, how, how, how do you how do you how do you interact with that? Right. Um, so if I go out to dinner with you and we're all sitting at the table and we get the menu and I look on the menu and I try to order for you, you're not going to be very happy with that. You may not like Reuben sandwiches. I may order you a Reuben sandwich with lots of sauerkraut and you're like, I can't eat that. I don't like that. You, why are you making me eat that? Don't order for me. Right. Right. And so, so I think what was key is you let people, people are inspired in different ways and, and uh, you know, with different styles. And so instead of taking away, I think the key is to add to, and so we did not try to, well, that's, that's not true. We did try to combine, well, after we started a family service that was more contemporary with you know, drums and piano and guitars and, you know, everybody does. Um, once we started that, um, that, and that got about the same size as the traditional service, then there was this conversation of let's combine them let's all be together as a church. Cause you know, this one's not real big and this one's not real big, but they'd be real big together. And so we combined them for an experiment for two years and everybody, it was like somebody else ordered off the menu for me and, uh, and everybody was equally unhappy that, you know, the, the, uh, the family service people that had come into the church and joined the church and, you know, they were there with their, you know, shorts and, and t-shirts and, and loving the radio Christian music for worship. Those people were like, I don't understand this hymnology stuff. I don't right. ever, ever said the apostles creed. I, you know, the Lord's prayer seems a little bit slow to me what is going on with this you know and the traditionals were like you know those two songs that you do it's so noisy so many layers i you know i just want to just plug my ears you know it's too too uh too loud for me you know kind of thing so we we said you know we gotta we gotta have a lunch menu and a dinner menu we gotta have you don't take stuff away or try to push it all together you let things let, let there be more options. And so we still, to this day, have a nice traditional service, pipe organ and piano, Lord's Prayer, 
you know, communion in both, obviously in both services. And, um, and we have a family service that is more casual, more contemporary. Um, we do all of our children's ministry only in the family service because there's not too many of those kids come into that, that traditional one, right? So right. because the number of volunteers you need and everything else, um, you just, you're going to, so when we market the church to the community or a guest, we go, you know, 11 o'clock, uh, what do they say? A lot of Q-tips in the box, right? So it's just more, more of a senior service. And, um, and you may like that. Now, to my surprise, age, you, you can't guess who will go to what service. I have lots of seniors that love being around the kids and will endure that contemporary music because they want to be with the families, right? That's and, right. Uh, and I actually have some younger families that will come to the traditional service because they just need a little peace. They just want right. something a little, a little softer, a little more solitude. Just let me sit here quietly for a minute, please. And um, so we have found it best, instead of taking away or trying to mush it together, um, offer more stuff on the menu and then let them decide what they want kind of thing. Right, right. Well, I quote, I quoted you Sunday, this just, you know, earlier in the week, uh, we had for the first time here, at least since I've been here, this church, First Congregational Church of Naples was planted only like 17 years ago. So there, there still is in it largely a church plant culture when it comes to a willingness to experiment, let's say something like that. And um, we have a Spanish-speaking congregation that has a full worship service uh, about an hour or so after ours ends, after the English-speaking service. And Love that. Oh, and, we, and it's such a blessing. We're doing a lot of things to combine them. We've taken the two youth groups, because neither church had a really large youth group, and we put them together. And also, we found an interesting dynamic that most of the, fam most of the kids from those Spanish-speaking families, they go to their American kids. They speak English primarily. And so a time or two I've preached um, for Pastor Cruz's church and then through a translator. And some of the kids said afterwards, hey, I loved it. I understood everything you said. Sometimes Pastor Cruz, he's from Cuba and he's Spanish. He starts talking really fast. And if in reality, your parents are Spanish as a first language, but you're really uh, English is really your primary language, then that can be a little tough to follow. Um, but I quoted you, uh, but anyway, oh, but Pastor Cruz is a wonderful singer. He plays every kind of instrument. So we brought in some drums, a bass, and we really mixed it up this last Sunday, which is the first time, at least since I've been here, that we've done that. And I quoted you. I said, afterwards, the congregation loved it. I mean, I don't think there was a soul in the place that wasn't blessed by it. And he happens to play the piano in a jazzy way. And so it wasn't like, you know, too rock bandish, let's say, for some of the, some, some of the seniors, but then it also was um, very worshipful. There was a really, it was really high quality worship, uh, well, music that supported the worship. And, um, but anyway, I quoted you. I said, well, afterwards, everyone seemed clearly to have enjoyed it. I said, you know, my friend, Pastor Jerry from uh, Dunedin once told me when I said, I don't know if I can bring contemporary music into a, any of the churches I've served with so many seniors. You said something to me and I quoted to them. You said something like, Oh, that's nonsense. Your seniors were dancing to Elvis and the Beatles. Where? And I, and I quoted that. And then afterwards, a lot of them said, well, I wasn't that into Elvis. And they told me, you know, who they liked, whatever. Um, but, there, but there is sometimes, I mean. I seniors. Guess, you know, yeah, go ahead. No, that's it. Today's seniors, look at what they listen to. Right. Listen, what did they dance to? What were they dating during? What songs did they cruise town with? You know, <laughs> right. Yeah, We're talking seniors now are from the 70s. Right. They might have been listening that? to uh, Three Dog Night, you know, that kind of stuff. Dog Night is mild now. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's wow, right. Get the sleeper off of there. Yeah. Oh, wow. man. What what uh, what would you say to OK? So what would you say to someone who? you know, finds themselves, I mean, the worship wars of the 90s, hopefully that's sort of, that seems to have largely died down. Yeah, I don't think people are battling over it anymore. It's kind right. of a taste and see thing. Um, you can do Chris Tomlin and Hillsong songs. You can do stuff today um, with the right musicians who have a heart and understand their, the congregation that's in front of them. Uh, you, sometimes you just slow the meter down a little bit and um, 
you can do any song in a gentler or more aggressive style based on who you're in front of. It's there's never been a more important time for anointed worship leadership that mm-hmm. understand the, the real, the Levites, we need the Levites right. back, right. Who uh, are willing to do that. Well, that's, that's worship style. And that certainly is a big part of church growth because uh, yeah. people come in there and they want to, you know, they want to feel God's presence and the music's a big part of it for sure. Oh, yeah. So, well, what, got, what about what's that? You got some talent in the room. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, what what about uh, the you know? Let's say the other side of it. There's, I mean, ministry. You know, it's funny. You said something to me one time that I always remembered too. Since leaving the Kirk, I pastored a few churches, founded a ministry in Haiti, and now I'm pretty convinced that we've found the place where God's been leading us to to really you know maybe I'll be here 19 years. And, you will. Um, I think so. I think it's entirely likely. Um, and, um, but the, every church I've served, I ended up serving churches that strangely I would show up on the, on the heels of significant conflict in most churches I've served here was uh, a blessing that it hadn't happened. And at the last church, it wasn't so much. Um, but I, you said something to me one time. I'm curious what you might say to, to say a young pastor, somebody starting out in the ministry, a church leader, somebody in their church, a deacon, an elder, uh, uh, you know, somebody who's trying to figure out how to go through instances of conflict. You said something to me one time, and I, like I said, you know it. I was, I was uh, really skeptical of pastoral ministry and kept thinking I should be a prison chaplain or do this and something different. And um, because of the of the possibility of conflict, and you said two things to me that I always remembered, and I've used them, used these ideas to coach myself in conflict in churches. There was uh, uh, one day; it was after that very first board meeting I went to, and you said, "All this creates teachable moments." And I thought, "Yeah, to teach me, I should have been a cop or something," you know, uh, <laughs> but, right? But la- but later I was like, "Yeah, absolutely." If you take the right approach, and then secondly, there was an incident that happened. I won't, I won't give away the details, uh, but you and I were at uh, like a Home Depot or something, and someone had used the church credit card, or there was some kind of weird thing that had happened, and I said, oh my gosh, that is crazy, and you said, this is why I love the ministry. Working with people means I never know what's going to happen from day to day. That's exciting. Yeah, and you know, and I think for, for I mean, you know, what might you say to somebody? They're entering the ministry, like, you know, I went to go pastor a church, inherited all kinds of I had been in the military 10 years before I had, I had a good idea of leadership, but I, but the, but I had to learn a whole new set of, of uh, tools and translate military leadership and, and get a whole nother set of tools in order to deal with conflict in a church. But I've watched you manage difficult situations. And I mean, what are some principles? Maybe that, maybe you name a few principles that you think um, I, you know, I, I know you, I know you're very, go ahead. It's a good topic because I've fallen down here a lot, and yeah. you're right. And so, um, so the, yeah, there's lots to say on this topic. I think that some of the stuff I could talk to a younger me, right? That yeah, that, that little thing there. If I could talk to a younger me, what would I say? And I, I would tell the younger me to um, lead quietly. Mm-hmm. That you don't need to be the loudest voice at the table. You don't need to have an opinion on every topic, um, that some things solve themselves, that, uh, that you might have a, you know, a moment where it gets intense. Um, you, you don't have to make it more intense by addressing everything that comes in your direction. Sometimes things will peter out on their own. And um, so, uh, you know, it, how you handle conflict is really a big deal. And I, I think that some pastors feel like, you know, I'm the authority. I got to put out these fires. So I got I to gotta sit down and talk to these people, or I need to make a sermon and address that topic. And, and right, they might right. throw some gas on the thing, right? You might right. as well just go ahead. And so I, I would love to go back and talk to a younger Jerry and say, let some of that stuff go under the bridge. It'll be downstream. Nobody will even be thinking about it. Also, you sometimes educate your congregation to a problem they didn't even know was there. (laughs) Yeah. Shut up. Shut up. Only two people. 
thing. Don't bring it up. Don't bring it up at the elders meeting. Don't bring it up at the congregation. Don't make it an illustration in your sermon. Don't write it in your, you know, weekly letter to the church. Hey, there's been a problem and we just want to address this. No, shut up. And it'll probably kind of go away on its on its own. But in some cases, we are our worst enemy, and we'll make it worse than than we do. Also, think that, um, and this is a really you know cancel culture, and everything is so sensitive, and people everything means something more than what you meant it to mean. And so we're in a weird time of culture right now, aren't we? And yeah. so I think that. Um, I would really, really challenge younger pastors, all pastors, um, that they that there's private ministry and there's public ministry, and that some of the more controversial things are great conversations next door in the restaurant, you and them with a cup of coffee and talking about it, you know, and uh, uh, some stuff, some stuff really needs to be handled uh, privately. I think all the sexual issues, all of the identity issues, all of the gender issues, all of that stuff is, those are counseling topics. Those are, right. we need to be very, very careful about that. Obviously, the political world is nuts. Mm. and Every church has a mix of who's in there. And so why would you ruin a pure gospel mission or focus of that church by mixing it up with some kind of pop culture going to be gone in four years kind of thing anyway. Why would you bring right. that up? So for me, I think there's a, a lot of stuff that we need to just kind of go. I don't mean that we shouldn't be good citizens. I don't mean we shouldn't address stuff, but I think there's a lot of stuff that we would be better to deal with it in a private issue than, than if we brought it up. Hey, listen, and you know what? Every yeah. family families in your church you said at one time you said everybody's maybe you quoted somebody having everybody has a secret battle you know nothing about right 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 right. and all of these controversial issues you have families in your church who have a grandchild a child a cousin and um the people who are dealing with this if it's personal to them and for them to have to embrace your public stand on something alienates that person that they're trying to love. They're not going to agree with that thing, whatever it is, but they have to love them. And so you making it harder for them to love them. And so for me, it's just, um, we should be hardcore gospel. There's Amen. no way no way to have an except Jesus. The Bible is the word of God. We need to adhere right. to and uh, some stuff is private. Uh, you know, Jesus did not do a lot of public sermons on uh, contemporary issues. I right. mean, we're, occasionally he would address stuff, but he would surprise people at it. You know, what do you yeah. think of the Roman soldiers making us do their stuff? Yeah, well, you know, go the second mile with them. And he'd turn it into a teachable moment. And uh, right. he'd so chop he at the just, roots. The, the ministry of Jesus is chopping, the, or say Jesus Jesus model right. ministry chops at the roots, not doesn't just keep trimming the hedges. They're just going to keep growing back. You no, know, we sometimes there's speed bumps and they slow us down, but uh, we need to be careful about it. And, uh, you know, for me, I, I think that uh, we, the church loses momentum and uh, the morale sinks uh, when they have to go through topics that are, you know, can we focus on the beauty the incredibleness of Jesus Christ. Can we take the principles of his word and work those into our life? And then, you know, as we're more authentic Christians, these people that are lost or confused or, you know, have tied tied their lives to something that is silly or short-termed or whatever, um, they're going to look at us and they're going to go, that's a solid human being. I wish I had that. And uh, we didn't really we didn't ruin it by, you know, putting a, a sign in our yard or. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's tough. It's tough. It's, yeah. it's harder than ever for a pastor these days because grandma who's sitting right there, who's, you know, her and you know, she's solid, but she's dealing with a grandchild who is, uh, you know, painting their hair purple and think that they are something other than what they are and, and right. so we get 
help people. It's a weird time for ministry, isn't it? Oh, I, yeah. You studied the culture of Corinthians. We've never been as hedonistic as the city of Corinth. I mean, that was a crazy place. Anything goes, no morals, no rights, no wrongs. I mean, we're not there. There my favorite my favorite quote on that topic is gk chesterton and i say it probably too often in times like these it's important to remember there have always been times like these <laughs> i like that and it's like what well, how important is uh missions uh let's say uh there's two things i want to ask you about but first what uh how important is missions you know there was one of the things that that i that i just it really was important to me at the kirk and I always had a heart for outreach, for mission, for evangelism, and I loved it. And 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 in fact, you know, supported some of the same folks uh, and built some relationships with some of the the overseas indigenous missionaries that the Kirk supports. How important is is reaching the nations to building the local flock? Okay, so. I, you, uh, I think you have to throw everything you've got all you got to spend boldly and you got to throw everything you got at the uh, youth evangelism of your community. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I think that's number one. If you don't do that, then uh, putting aside, you know, missions money, you're not going to exist in right. 10 years anyway, if you don't. So you better, you better th- be ex. ex- extraordinarily aggressive to reach as many young people as possible for Jesus Christ. But yeah, I mean, cause that's your home base and you gotta, well, and you, you all have done some really creative things with that. I mean, we're, we're talking about bringing our kids, you know, it's a three hour drive up to your church for the, for the breakfast uh, with Santa Claus that you do. And you managed to take this cultural reality and then turn it into a legitimate open door to the church. I mean, that's, you know, and what a huge production that is that, that y'all did. And you created that. You gotta say Jesus out loud. If you're gonna have Santa there, he's gonna have to say Jesus out loud, right? Amen. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah, that's awesome. Easter Bunny, there better, there better be an empty tomb somewhere on the campus at the same time, right? right. So, I mean, we, we're doing all these things and we're, brainstorming on how to do more Um, because event evangelism gives people an opportunity to do personal evangelism. If you give nothing for people to draw people to, then um, they're out there all by themselves. But if you do event evangelism, if a church has a quality, fun event, something powerful, um, once a quarter, then, and it's going to cost money and it's going to take, you know, 60% of your church has to volunteer and you're doing food for something, or you're doing kids or something, or you're doing music or something. Um, then you're going to see four or five families interested in your church. You may have like with these, these Christmas events that we have, these, uh, you know, the Santa Claus thing that we do, we'll get 450 kids last year, right? Yeah, so we have four or five families that'll become a part of the church. Was that worth that? Was it worth spending $5,000 to do everything that we do, converting the car, the sanctuary into the North Pole? And, you know, uh, the exhausting of all of the training of our skits and doing you know, all of our, yes, yes, it's worth yeah. it. What happens the next year the people that came into the church through that event will be your best volunteers at the right. next event. so yes we're looking for more and better ways to do it's silly we you know one of the weird ones was a fundraiser we didn't expect it to actually be a a church growth thing but our pumpkin patch oh yeah uh, they a nice job that uh photographers say hey meet me at the this church's uh, pumpkin patch for photos. So we get a lot of people, they come, they don't buy a pumpkin, but they're getting their pictures taken. Hey, what is this a church? Yeah. I didn't, this was Another weird thing that happened was we have this thrift shop and the, our thrift shop is a third of our revenue of our church keeps our mm. church. You know, we couldn't live out of the plate only. And so between yeah. that, preschool in the back that rents our building and the, the thrift shop in the front. But that thrift shop has become an evangelism tool because a lot of the people, they wouldn't have come into our building and, uh, oh my gosh, this is a church. 
And uh, so a lot of our new members have were the first time that they were on our campus was to buy that two dollar shirt or whatever. <laughs> it's weird. You have no idea what's going to work. You know how it's going to go. Um, what's going to? You just got to do lots of experiments. But listen, I want to get back to the missions yeah. thing. Oh yeah, go ahead. And evangelism. When when you were talking missions, I just really want to emphasize that you're number oh, one. Oh, for mission. sure. That was the other. That was the other side of that. I was going to ask you about. So I'm glad you did. Your number one mission. And uh, yeah. if your church does not have a solid, faithful, not one time a year, but a regular quarterly payment to some missions thing, and I I say you should touch all four corners of the earth. We love. Uh, supporting supply and multiply because we trust you. Um, there's, you know, the, all of our mission things that we have in Nigeria and India, you, one in the Dominican Republic, um, we've known these people for a long time. And so we know they're not, they're not blowing the little bit of money we send to them. We know they're, they're doing doing God things with it. And, um, you know, sometimes when you come into a church, you inherit, you know, well, we, you know, we support these 10 mission things. Does anybody even know anything about that, you know? And so they just keep sending that thousand dollars a year or something to Macedonia and, uh, they don't know what is happening there. And uh, so I think that people need to be smart. They need to personally know at least the leadership that's there, that's doing it. Uh, We trust you guys. We want to always be increasing um, because we, you know, we, it's, uh, it's about people. And our church feels very happy and proud to, uh, to, to be a part. And, you know, um, this is true is that you're going to win a lot more people to Jesus in uh, in places of poverty because of the right. need opens them up. Um, I don't want to say America is uh, closed to Jesus, but people have uh, most of their needs are met um, by their own efforts or by the right. government or by you know something. And so, you know, somebody will take me to task on this, but I don't think there's a lot of. No, it's true though. In my in my experience in Haiti, having lived there and built a ministry there, especially there, and I know it to be true in other parts of the world, and you've been all over the world, and it's like the compassion of Christ, the Christ Compassion Ministries, builds such a solid platform for relational evangelism in communities that you know it's like some. Once I said it, it's pro, I don't know if it's the best phrase I use, but someone says, "How can you keep doing ministry in Haiti? Haiti's so hard." I said because. It's almost like I'm cheating because under these circumstances, I can build, I can fast track relationships with people to such an extent that the whole community once will come if I put on an evangelistic crusade. Right. The whole community will come. And, um, and that's different than ministry here, but we are yeah. salt and light here. We are the remnant here. We are trying to recover our roots and, you know, God yeah. created America. He, it has a big redemptive purpose. And so we don't give up on this place. That's right. The more, you know, we want to say Jesus out loud and be strong. I want to say, uh, yeah. I don't know the, the talk on you with this, but something happened this week that um, gave, gave me kind of an aha moment. One of my son, uh, Ben, was up working on a, a house. He flipping a house for a company. And one of the neighbors, when he was out working in the yard, came up to him and said, hey, man, do you know Jesus? And handed him a track. And of course, yeah. you know, Ben's, Ben's a Christian and he's, you know, grew up in the church. He's my son. And, and so he's, of course, he has a relationship with Jesus. <laughs> and Ben said, you know, dad, it was, it was kind of weird. It was kind of weird. I said, well, you know, we embraced that the guy had the courage to do this. Yeah. Um, but, um, but he's really trying to do a shortcut. He said, what do you mean? Take a shortcut. I said, it's cheating to throw a track at somebody and go away. What he could have done is say, Hey, listen, I got a whole garage full of tools over here. I see you're working. You you can come over here and borrow whatever you need. If you need something, you know, I'm over here and, or, Hey, you need a, need to help pulling that stump out of the ground. Or, I mean, the guy would did a shortcut. I'm not against literature evangelism. I think it works sometimes, 
But I think people, and this is why we think that your work in Haiti is beautiful, is because you're not taking shortcuts. Right. You're not going in there and, you know, here's a bag of food and a gospel track. You're like, I sit, the most beautiful pictures are you sitting there with the people. And we're not in a hurry. We're not. We're not yeah. in here, out of here. We're going to be here with you forever. Um, we hurt with you. We rejoice with you. Your needs are our needs. And I, and I think that's the message to Christianity today is yeah. uh, stop with the shortcuts. Stop right. with the shortcuts. You know, Jesus, when he was tempted in the wilderness, he had three or four opportunities to do the shortcuts, right? Yeah, right. I whole world will be yours right and he's like no that's you know i'm not going to take that shortcut command that bread you know those stones to be bread or whatever all the shortcuts that satan tempted him with churches i don't think we have an authentic uh influence for the gospel of jesus christ we are not going to change the world or win one person if all we're doing is throwing literature at people and walking away i think we got yeah, absolutely it's like unload i say sometimes the uh, so there's a kind of, there's a kind of preaching and I, you know, we both know how difficult ministry is. I'm not judging a soul, but there, there is a type of preaching where I feel a tremendous burden to reach the nations and reach the world and lead people to Jesus. And so then instead of like embracing my congregation and coming up with creative ways to, to get it life on life, to get in the community, to, to know people like the, the, yeah, the thrift store, that's amazing on so many levels. And it's like, instead of doing that, I'll just make everybody feel guilty for not leading their neighbor to Jesus. And then I'll feel better about myself and there won't actually be any more equipped to do it. I mow your neighbor's yard and, and then love him. And he knows you're heading to church. He's, he knows where you're going. And, and then, you know, if you get in a, yeah, my, you know, could you, you know, what will happen in those moments is um, there, there's a ramp you know, into their lives. And, um, Hey, I know that you believe in prayer. They'll say to you, um, you've been so kind to me. My grandma's dying. And I just really wish that, could you pray for my grandma? Wow. Now you're there and they're thinking there's, you know, a force beyond us and, uh, we could tap into it. You've got them, yeah. got them, you know, right there. And it started because yeah. you mowed their yard or, you know, I'm not social, gospel i'm not you know just let's go feed the hungry and right. clothe people and visit prisons and never tell them about jesus i'm not that guy I, you right. can be kind right. to people and be you can love them right into hell and we don't right. we don't want to do that <laughs> right all right but we but jesus always started with a you know a touch and a kindness and oh, absolutely uh, messages with it though it's with it but it doesn't have to be today you could do the love thing today and tomorrow have that conversation or you know whatever it is yeah yeah well hey jerry i really appreciate your time and having this there's so many more things we could talk about i think there's a uh i'm gonna have to move us in the direction of a conclusion but learning i think from I got... you go ahead i'm learning from you oh well uh, hey you know i yeah you i, I... Well, that's good. I got maybe, maybe uh, you're a good, you're a good student then because <laughs> I don't always feel like I have that much to teach. I told, I like to quote Bill Moody. The daughter's name. What's oh, uh What's that? Carmely. What is your adopted oh, daughter? Car oh, Carmely. Yeah. Carmely. That's one. Yeah. Yeah. It's one. No, that's right. one person you know, of Jesus her whole life. And you know, it cost I, everything to do it. It, it, it cost a lot. I, I, um, I tell you, that our, our, uh, I just said to Christina and I were just talking today, in fact, and I said, you know, I don't know if, if, um, if she will ever fully comprehend all that her grandmother's prayers led to. Um, but I'll always, you know, it's like, um, we were able to bring her. Yeah. into relationship with Jesus, we, our family, living in Haiti and then having Haiti live with us, uh, you know, it, it, it's, um, difficult. It was, it, there's a lot of, lot of integrating all that is not easy. Um, but it's like, we have alleviated a little bit of the suffering in the world just by alleviating her suffering. One person. Um, and, and then it's like, then, you know, it's amazing what I've found to be the case as far as the influence that has 
Um, and really all it was all like, all that was, was it's, it's crazy. When I think back on that time of where my heart was, where Christina's heart was where, really where it still is, but, but where it just shot us to where it was like, Nope, we're moving to Haiti. And that's that. Um, it was like, okay, all it really was, was a strong sense of God's leading and saying, okay, I, Jesus says, count the costs. That's a high cost. But you didn't take I, a shortcut. You could oh. listen. There's, there's Christians. They're like, let's put a box of food on a porch. <laughs> right. That's, that's right. That's that. Okay. Nice thing. Glad you did it. You know, they know you're yeah. a Christian and you love them. So it didn't hurt anything. Right. 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 And who's going to, who adopts, who yeah. adopts a kid? You know, who, who, no shortcuts. You didn't take a shortcut. So you that's have my right. support forever. Well, I appreciate it. And, and you mine. And, uh, yeah, I sure appreciate it, brother. So yeah, before, before you, before you move me to further tears on this one, I'm going to go ahead and, and, uh, wrap this up. I really appreciate it. There's a bunch more things we could talk about. We'll have to, uh, you know, we could talk about how, how good the, uh, Tampa Bay lightning is and how they, <laughs> they won back to back, uh, back to back Stanley cups. We could talk about oh, that my gosh. there. We could, I'd uh, say- we- we could go talk about every one of these, uh, these people. Yeah. Oh, you got a great family. And, uh, in fact, we, uh, yeah. So, well, I'll keep, okay. I'll keep my, my attempts at prearranged marriages, uh, to your grandchildren from my children. I'll keep that under wraps. Uh, but, uh, one of them thinks that you're, one of them thinks your daughter and I are kidding, but I don't know that I am, but, uh, <laughs> they, they so, used to do it in the olden days and it worked out right. Yes, precisely. So, uh, well, hey, God bless you today. I'm going to go ahead and end this, and uh, we'll talk again soon. I look forward to seeing you in person sometime before too long. We'll make our way up to the Kirk Coastal Community Church. Yes, that's Coastal not Christian a bad name. Church. It's a good name, so, and it is. You right on the coast. You might be still a member, so I need your vote. <laughs> I got to get a big majority on this. So I have you and yeah, we'll you send me down, up there. Send down a ballot to you and Christina. Yeah, yeah. for sure. For sure. All right. Well, hey, well, God bless you today. And uh, see you, man.